0: Chapter 9 The Basics of the Theory of Sensation. Looking and Feeling. We have explained, however cursorily, the process of looking at the visual image. But for the time being, we have only hinted at the distinctive character of feeling. But now we have to look at it more closely, and all the more because science, because it has completely overlooked looking, also misunderstood sensation and even today has not determined the real sensation at all. We hold the proposition that every sensory experience presents two sides, or components, that cannot be traced back to each other, the side of looking and the side of feeling, and that neither from looking alone nor from feeling alone can ever be explained the occurrence of the spiritual act that compels us to find things. In order to prove this let us first assume that there is only sensation and pick out a sensation which already has the character of genuine sensation in a sense to be developed here but which fortunately is also recognized as genuine sensation by conventional science we mean the sensation of touching touch nobody will deny that the spatial and temporal presence of the touched belongs to the content of a certain touch What we touch is present for us here, thus as something touching our touching limb. And it is present now, thus in the moment of touching. If we could, without changing the place, touch everything and anything, not only the glass on the table but also the distant mountain ranges or the moon in the sky, then there would be for us no more clear difference of a here from a there. And if the respectively touched would not have the character of a temporal present, then there would be no difference between the now and the former. We can express this more briefly in this way. Everything that is touched, whatever else it may be, has in any case the nature of a here and now, and from this it follows that we would not gain any impression by mere touching. If I press with my hand against a tabletop, I feel a physical resistance. If I lift my hand from the tabletop, I no longer feel the resistance in question. Insofar as I am now only able to touch, this resistance providing corporeality would immediately also have disappeared. If I now put my hand on the table for the second time, then I again felt a physical resistance. But as again limited to the present, it was in no way connected with the previous impression. With it, however, already too much was asserted. Time does not stand still for a moment. There is no now that would persist. But hardly that it is there. It already disappears into the past to make room for a new present. Because the groping belongs to the present, I would feel other and always other resistances, even in the arbitrary period of time during which my hand rests on the tabletop, each of which instantly passing away. would give way to the coming one, which would not know the least of the just past one. And the resistance that can be felt now and only now There is never the resistance that I have felt, be it a minute ago, be it a second ago. Yes, the circumstance that the momentary resistance sensation infallibly changes according to the preceding resistance sensations, forces us, as we already know, to distinguish every present moment of experience from every just past one, not only numerically, but even artificially, from which it follows that we would not even be able to speak of the impression of a physical resistance. If then the content of the tactile experience cannot convey a comprehensible impression, as far as it is bound to the now, then we can moreover show that it is just the same because it is bound to the here. As no researcher denies, every tactile sensation is localised. If I call here the tactile sensation on the index finger of the left hand, then in relation to it, a there becomes the tactile sensation on the index finger of the right hand. The whole surface of my body thus decomposes into an extraordinarily large number, of course not mathematical, but empirical, spatial places, each of which equipped with artificially peculiarity, which one falsely calls the Petitio Principii local sign stands to every other one in the relation of a here place to a there place. If now the resistance impression is one that occurs in the here, then it undoubtedly takes place on a certain place of the body. If we again take the case that I put my table on a tabletop, then numerous artificially different pressures arise, each of which, insofar as I would observe it separately, would possess the character of the here. But that would not arise at all, But what would not arise at all would be the connection of all of them among each other, according to which the here impression at the tip of the index finger would stand out against the here impression at the tip of the little finger, as against a there. Artificially different resistances would be felt. Not felt would be there, lying apart from each other. Since now every physical resistance has some extension, We could no longer speak of the impression of a physical resistance if the content of the tactile impression should lack extension. One hoped in vain to conquer this difficulty by using so-called sensations of motion, even if Melchior Pelgai would not have proved that the concept of the sensation of movement is a mongrel incapable of life. It could be demonstrated by a very simple consideration that the organ experiences, which one has in mind, are quite incapable of evoking the impression of the outside. If we were to admit that the organ experiences that arise when bending the arm, for example, are those of the transition from state to state, then the experience of an extension would not lie in it any more than, for example, in the experience of the brightening of an illuminated surface. We repeat, If it belongs to the content of the touch-life to be a temporally as well as a spatially determined place, then we could not even get in touch with the physicality of the world only by touching, let alone that we would be enabled by it to find things. With this, however, we have already determined what it was actually, by the absence of which the impression of resistance was prevented from, quote-unquote, appearing. The connection between time-place and time-place Likewise between space-place and space-place. Finally between time-place and space-place. Or in one word, the spatio-temporal outside of each other was missing. But time is nothing else than the most general characteristic of events. Space, nothing else than the most general characteristic of images. And both complement each other in a polar way. The temporal event could not be experienced without the event carrier of the spatial image and the spatial image could not be experienced except as a moment of passage of the event as the preceding considerations might have revealed presence is realized only in relation to the temporal stream and this only in relation to it insofar as the experience of space needs the experience of time and vice versa we are entitled to speak of the experience of the spatio-temporal continuity, and this now forms the most general side of seeing. Only on the basis of seeing, to whose contents belongs, among other things, the spatio-temporal continuity, the sensation process can communicate physical impressions to us. Two further remarks are necessary. If we call spatiotemporality the most general characteristic of images, and the receptivity for it the most general characteristic of looking, then we do not only oppose the astonishing view that space and time are in the human mind in order to be superimposed by it on the sense data, but also the absurd opinion that one can compose spatiotemporality as well as temporality from mere sense data. The visual impressions, which anything, for example a glass, conveys to us, are incomparably different from the tactile impressions, which the same thing conveys to us. As far as extension is a property of the seeing thing, it would have to be a different extension than that of the touching thing. We would have a space of sight, a space of hearing, a space of touch. Yes, a space of smell and a space of taste and no god would bring them together in the one and only space, which we know alone and exclusively. It would be the same with the time belonging to each of these spaces, and it would be a matter of impossibility to refer the visual impressions of the glass to the same thing to which we refer the tactile impressions, only because it is the distinctive peculiarity of the mental power of vision, and consequently of the power of vision of all senses to depict the spatio-temporal continuity we enter into connection with the image of the world, among other things, through the mediation of sensory impressions. Furthermore, as one thought to invalidate the argument from the spatial locality of a touched thing by the help of a so-called sensations of movement, so one could think to overcome this from the temporal locality with the reference to the quote-unquote memory. On the other hand, at this point, Under renunciation of a more exact justification, it is only to be noted that the memory presupposes the time image as directly experienced, in the same way as the so-called movement sensation. Uh, In the same way the so-called movement sensation presupposes the space image as directly experienced. Every attempt to derive the experience of time from the experience of memory instead of the other way round, has proved to be a circle. Without having already explained what the process of sensation actually brings to the process of seeing, we can nevertheless now at least prepare the answer to the question whether it is possible to come to the conception of things with the help of seeing alone. but this must be preceded by a remark about the mutual relationship of seeing and feeling. Of sensation we have found out, even if at first only by the example of touch, that in order to communicate impressions to us at all, it requires the image already realised through looking. If sensation depends on looking in this way, then it is not simply true the other way around that looking is equally dependent on sensation. There are no sensing beings who would not be also looking, and there could be looking beings who would not feel anything. In deep sleep, for example, we ourselves are completely dead of sensation, and nevertheless able to see the spatio-temporally extended world of dream visions, which shares the character of reality with the waking world. After that, passing to the above question, we reflect on the fact that it belongs to the peculiarity of every imaginable thing to be at a place at any moment. According to which the finding of the thing, in any case, includes a finding of the place. But in order to be able to find places, we must be able to experience them. And we really experience them, as it turned out. E.g., with the help of the tactile sensation, provided only that the spatiotemporal image is already given... In which they mean spatially different places. Such an image would be any visual space with moving figures in it. But if we think of it mirrored, we are confronted with the astonishing fact that we are no longer able to classify it into the objective world space. The landscape painting, for example, seems to have a foreground, a middle ground and a background that may be lost in bluish distances Regardless of the fact that the canvas on which it is depicted forms a surface that is at the same as the wall. And the same is true of the images behind the reflecting plane in relation to it. But if the sight lacks the ability to give us the impression of the place, then on the basis of this life process alone the localised thing is never found. This prelude to the decisive considerations is immediately followed by their most important conclusion, which of course has already been applied repeatedly in the course of our work, but which can only now be fully understood. All experience is alienating. But there are two kinds of alienation. The viewing one, which puts us in connection with the image of the world, and the feeling one, which connects us with the physicality of the world. Since corporeality appears only in the already realized image, sensing can also be considered as a process of corporealization of images. From the contrast of the bodily life process of sensation to the mental life process of perception, the contrast of the Greek soma concept to the concept of psyche is justified and can be precisely determined. Furthermore, since we see the performance of the noose or spirit, namely the act of judgment bound to the state of wakefulness, which is always capable of sensation, we will see in sensation the immediate precondition for the accomplishment of the mental act. From this arises a task that has remained that has remained unknown to all previous psychology and cognitive science, namely, the task of showing in the sensation, erroneously thought to be a quote-unquote fact of consciousness, rather the vital cause for the emergence of consciousness, or in the physicality of the world, which can only be experienced, the enabling reason for its conceivable objectivity. Everything fundamentally important for this has already been presented partly in the previous chapters, partly and especially in the present part of the current chapter, On the other hand, a book of the minimum size of this book would be necessary for the application of these new findings to the whole field of the theory of sensation. Apparently confronted with an all-or-nothing choice, we nevertheless choose a middle course by trying to indicate the revolution that the foundations of all research on sensation are thereby undergoing. And we put the emphasis on the precondition hidden in the real concept of sensation for the solution of the still unsolved problem of the increasability, comparability, of all property words. In doing so, however, we make use of an abbreviated mode of presentation that strings together the decisive sentences in the manner of theses with the most meager effort of intellectual mediation. Nature and intensity. We refrain from enumerating today's school definitions of sensation. Enough that one distinguishes at the sensation experience quite generally quality, kind, and intensity, strength. One example instead of many: the heard tone C differs from the heard D in kind, qualitative the loud sea from the quiet sea, by its strength, intensive, and so everywhere. So it shall have been felt, firstly a quality, and secondly the intensity of this very quality. The untenability of this conception was noted and proved by wiser heads, its difficulty did not escape even the latecomers, but neither the one nor the other found the solution. We send a few words about the questionable untenability itself in advance and follow for a short distance a mode of reasoning which fights the belief in the gradation of species from the points of view of the inapplicability of the quantity concept to sentient contents. We will see later that this reasoning also misses the core of the matter. Strengths we compare according to the degree and thus, as it seems at first, quantitatively. Louder is more loud, brighter more bright, hotter more hot. One says, after all, by estimation, that white surface is about three times as bright as this one, and one measures, after all, the degree of brightness according to candle strength, thus certainly numerically. The smaller number is contained in the larger, the unit in each number. But how, then, if I hear a very loud sound, Does my hearing of loudness consist in the fact that I would have multiplied the quietness in my mind? Is the experience of loudness an experience of cumulative quietness? Do I not rather have a uniform, undivided and indivisible impression, whether I perceive a loud sound or a quiet one? It is true that if I, comparing brighter and darker with each other, consider the causes of the differences in brightness. Then I rightly come to form the concept of a source of light twice or three times as large, but in the brightness that is merely perceived badly, there is not the slightest of multiplied units of brightness. So would bright be artificially different from less bright, loud from quiet? Not a few researchers of the soul answer, quote, yes, intensity is psychologically considered only a special quality, end quote. But what is this special quality? No one has known how to say that. For there cannot be the slightest doubt that I distinguish C from D in a fundamentally different way than loud C from quiet C. If I ask a street urchin who has never heard anything about acoustics to tell me when he hears a new tone and when he hears the same tone again, and if I now strike a tuning fork C and again C and again C only a little louder each time, he says without thinking that it is always the same tone even if it has a different volume. But if I suddenly strike F with the same volume, he says that now that it is a different tone. The different tone is now quite certainly, and no one has ever doubted it, a different tone quality. But if I were to call the mere amplification of sound a change of quality, I would be contradicting the fact that it is judged by the listener as a change of the same quality. The problem is this. If I speak of differences in strength of the same species, I seem to have asserted a multiplicatability of species, which would be a contradiction. If on the other hand I call the difference in degree a difference of species, I have destroyed the distinguishing feature of the concept of species. Species cannot be multiplied, and strengths cannot be made species. The sensation is touch sensation. From this we immediately draw the necessary conclusion. Species have no strengths at all, and degrees of strength are completely species-less. Then, however, two essentially different life processes must work together, so that the impression presents us both a species and a gradual side. If we call one of the two life processes feeling we must not call the other feeling but we must call that sensation which helps us to understand the degrees of strength here are some of the most important reasons a all visual experiences are different from all auditory experiences from all olfactory experiences from all taste experiences from all tactile experiences we cannot hear colors We cannot see sounds, we cannot touch sense, so-called disparity of senses. Without exception, however, each sense gives us differences of strength within its zone, bright and brighter, loud and louder, sweet and sweeter, warm and warmer, cold and colder, rough and rougher, smooth and smoother, dull and duller, sharp and sharper, and so on. Since the concept of sensation wants to characterise the distinctive peculiarity of sensual experience, we have to use the ability common to all senses for its formation, i.e. the ability to experience the degrees of strength. b. We already know why it would be senseless to want to make space the content of sensation. As certainly as the visual content of red is something incomparably different from the tactile content of cold, so certainly would visual space and tactile space then fall apart, from which the unavoidable consequence would be that no concept of space would come into being at all. To this may be added, the riddle of the space lies not in the breadth extension, and not in the height extension, but quite alone in the depth extension. For a being which would be in a mathematical surface, width as well as height extension would merge to the point both can step apart only for the observer before the surface, thus with the help of the depth extension. To feel the space would then mean in truth to feel the depth of the space. Assuming now that the touching sensation is in any case a sensation, and that what is touched is in any case present here, then the content of at least this sensation could not also include the depth of space and thus not space. But what a certain sensation process lacks is no longer suitable for the characterization of sensation in general. The fact of the insensibility of space now forms an essential support for our proposition that the degree of strength to be experienced establishes the distinguishing peculiarity of sensation. If the strength of the impression is felt, then we recognise without further ado why space is impossible. There are... What all representatives of the insensibility of space tend to emphasize, larger and smaller spaces, but certainly not more or less strong ones. It does not occur to anyone to call the distance, great depth of space, a more intense nearness, small depth of space. C. All senses have one more characteristic in common, namely to be painfully excited. And indeed, without exception, every sense experience becomes a pain experience as soon as a certain degree of intensity of the excitation is exceeded. Every increase of intensity finally leads to the experience of pain. This is correct if we eliminate all pathological cases. On the other hand, according to a clarification from the medical side, the assumption represented in the previous editions of this work That it is exclusively pressure increases that cause surface pain has proved to be untenable. From the counter-reasons, only one shall be mentioned. There are electrical irritations without any touch sensations. This restriction shall be kept in mind in the following explanations. Every sense experience is composed of the one of looking and the one of feeling. The former is a kind experience, the latter a strength experience proof. If I hear a gentle melody, I do not have the slightest touch experience in the ear. If I see a landscape painting, I do not have the slightest touch experience in the eye. The small child must first slowly learn that he needs his eyes to see, his ears to hear, because in seeing or hearing of medium strength lies only the seen and heard, but absolutely no sensation of the mediating organ. However, If one fires a cannon right next to me, the bang seems to tear my hearing organ apart as it can really burst the eardrum. Now I do not merely make a perception of a sound, but I also have a painful touch sensation in my ear. And if I look unprotected into the sun on a hot summer afternoon, I not only see something very bright, but I also have a piercing touch sensation in my eye. Likewise, pungent odors can literally scratch and bite and intense tastes such as alum can painfully constrict but if all the highest degrees of strength are undoubtedly touch experiences then the experience of strength in general is a touch experience even if its weaker degrees cannot be noticed by us as touches and and we therefore have to state sensation par excellence Is touch sensation and nothing more. Experiences of touch presuppose two things. Firstly, an organ of touch. Secondly, the self-mobility of this organ of touch. The older theory of sensation had recognized that the sense of touch is the root sense of sensation. All other senses are only branch senses. The newer one has slain this truth very much to the detriment of science, with the misleading sentence of the quote-unquote specific sense energies, quoting Johannes Müller. We must return to that, but add to it a new finding which remained unnoticed from the very beginning. The primal phenomenon of touch is the pressure which either my organ of touch exerts against a resistance, or which a resistance exerts against my organ of touch. That my touch organ must possess self-movement in order to exert a pressure everyone sees. It must have, however, likewise self-movement in order to receive a pressure. The received pressure is nothing else and can be nothing else than felt counter-pressure. Thus we come to the conclusion, every sensation is touch sensation. Touch is a form of palpation, but palpation happens from the self-mobility of the organ of touch. All senses are organs of sensation, exactly to the extent that they are organs of touch that are sensitive to pressure. Incidentally, however, they are differentiated organs of seeing, which, as the dream proves in the sleep of the senses, is a process of the soul. As is known, Condillac had invented that famous statue for the justification of sensualism to which one only needs to insert living sense organs piece by piece in order to make it a perceptive being. Now we know, equipped with all senses, said image column would have nevertheless not the slightest impression experience, and would be consequently also not capable of a single perception, as long as it would lack so self-mobility. We can therefore assert with full certainty that every self-moving being does not receive even the slightest impression. Plants, for example, are sensation dead exactly insofar as they lack self motion, although they undoubtedly enjoy a special kind of looking experience. If we break a flower, this does not cause it the least pain, just as when placed in water, it continues to bloom just as merrily as if it were still attached to the stem. Self mobility, finally, is the expression of instinct. Only libidinous beings are capable of feeling. For this we can now also say if looking consists in the alienation of the image, then feeling consists in the localization of the looked image, because the experience of touch as be explained and as has been explained in detail, forms the starting point of the concept of here, and thus of the concept of now. What is the here? Originally, that which I can touch. And what is the there? originally that which I cannot touch. Without touch experience, there would not be the difference of the here from the there, and with it also not that of the now from the once. The looking one looks into the furthest distance, because he is everywhere as a looking one. The sensing one touches only the present, because he is always here as a sensing one. But only from the hereness of the sensed one, the far quality of the seen one wins the character, of a there to be moved out unrestrictedly. The sense organs do not differ strictly, specifically, but once according to the degree of the predominance of the sensation over the perception, then however according to the special receptivity for certain sides of the world of images that are open to all of them. The sensation predominates significantly in the near senses of touch, temperature and taste recedes already considerably in the middle sense of smelling and is enormously outweighed by looking in the far senses of hearing and seeing. The organs of touch are in the highest degree organs of sensation. The eye is in the highest degree an organ of seeing. Peculiarity of Physical Alienation We come to our most important sentence. In the felt here, it is not the mirroring soul and the mirrored image, but a touched by a touching body. Both therefore, touched and touching, fall under one genre of corporeality. Here finding is therefore one and the same with body finding, and body finding is inevitably finding of two bodies, namely the touched and the touching. In the experience of here, there is not only a polarity, but at the same time a duality, and this now makes the entrance of the splitting mental act possible. Fact-finding originally means finding the thing. Finding the thing originally means finding the corporeality of the thing. And the finding of the corporeality of the thing can only happen because a corporeal duality forms the content of the experienced corporeality. We do not omit to point out the surprising authentic- authentication that our derivation receives from the name feel in German empfinden. As linguists teach us, the German word consists of the prefix m and the verb to find. The prefix m originated from ent, this from ant, still preserved in antlitz, face, antwort, answer which, related to the Greek anti, originally means the spatial against. In the original meaning of the word, therefore, first of all, the finding, which is to be mediated exclusively by feeling, was taken up, and then also the circumstance that the felt content has the relation of an opponent to the physicality of the sensing. Regardless of the fact that the word feel originally means to touch, and in today's colloquial language almost arbitrarily changes with feel one feels an object feels warmth cold etc but also sorrow joy etc and likewise one feels brightness but also again grief pleasure etc the researchers of the soul were nevertheless right to restrict the sensation to the bodily life processes the feeling to the mental life processes as by the way is justified by the commonly used composition sense sensation whose side piece, sense-feeling, was rejected by the language. Thus the conceptual act splits up something that is already halted by the sensation, and the spirit finds itself directly connected, not with the soul, but with the body of the soul. Only in this way it becomes understandable, casually remarked, that it is directed against the soul and can nevertheless be richly developed with relatively great poverty of soul of the bearer. From the proof of it. A. What is a body? One has said something in space. In his logic on the crossroads, Pellaghi has forcefully shown why this is incorrect. For one cannot pour the body out of the space as one pours peas out of a bag in which they are in. It would be equally incorrect to say that space is in the body or that the body encloses a piece of space. For space cannot be poured out of the body either. The correct answer is, the body is the resistance which opposes the penetration of space. Let us consider, however, what it means if for this reason we attach to the body the characteristic of being penetrable. Space is something absolutely penetrable, and the absolutely penetrable in turn penetrates everything, thus even the body which is considered to be impenetrable. Consequently, this body has its impenetrability only in relation to a second state of affairs, which again has impenetrability. The resisting merely resists the resisting, or corporeality is realized only in the contact of two bodies. B. In the space, every conceivable place is connected with every other place by a constant means. Due to the boundless, penetrating power of space, there is absolutely nothing that could separate one space-place from another space-place, in view of only the space. If, on the other hand, the physicality of space consists in the possible opposition of two bodies, then it necessarily, realisation of place, or physicality means locality, and resisting space is localised space. In the reality not of space, but of the physicality of space, a real here is separated from a real there. Thus experience of touch equals experience of resistance, equals experience of place, equals experience of corporeality, equals experience of the impenetrability of two bodies. With it, this is to be added here, now also the vital fact was shown, which causes all, which causes that all spirit bearers find themselves referred to one and only one world of perception, although the contents of one's own experiences change continuously and are basically just as different from the content of the experiences of the other person as any dream contents of both are from each other. In the waking state the personal being is confronted with a world identical for all persons, Because, and as far as it is induced to link its visual images to fixed places, we find the sameness of the thing, for all as well as for everyone in changing moments, insofar as we have infallibly found the place of the thing on the stage of the images, i.e. in the space of perception, with the thing at the same time. What distinguishes the images in the mirror, and also the images of the dream, from the things of perception? We already said it that the latter do not find a place in the space of perception. Also, the space of the landscape painting with its trees, clouds, meadows, huts, figures is not located in the space of perception, in which the painting itself is located. And if there are two landscape paintings hanging on the wall, then the space of each of them is cut out of a special universe, and therefore the two images belong to two different realities from which it follows that the commonality of the judged reality is based on the commonality of a space, which we are used to refer to fixed points in in it. If we take away from the image at a certain place, we have deprived it of the ability to become the determinant of the thing, or, more generally speaking, the determinant of a fact to which the most diverse minds can come back, thinking at the most diverse times. We turn again to the experience of strength, We are now in a position to show the original source of the experience of strength and the constant increase of pressure. Differences in strength are experienced differences in pressure. From the proof of this, all strongest intensities are not only felt like qualities of the experienced object, but also at the experiencing organ. And the increase of the objective strength goes hand in hand with an only not objectively equal strength uh, increase of the subjective the increase of the objective strength therefore corresponds to an increase of the subject of being measured. Excuse me. The increase of the objective strength therefore corresponds to an increase of the subject of being touched. And only from the size of this we originally gain the measure for the size of that. In sense of increasability. But now it is time to return to the starting point. One could rightly claim that if it is true that in the direct perception of a loud sound there is by no means a multiplied quietness, then it is also true that in the direct perception of the pressure that a weight of a kilogram exerts on the hand, there is also nothing of multiplication of the pressure of the weight of a gram. That differences in strength are something else than differences in kind one has recognised. On the other hand, one is by no means enlightened about the extent to which the difference in strength can be interpreted as a difference in quantity. In order to cope with this difficulty, we must first confront the view, tentatively introduced above, according to which differences in degree belong to differences in quantity. And it is not sufficient to point out another more or less in contrast the view that the relation of the more to the less is always a relation of the contained to the container. But we will even have to show that in relation to the container, the contained gains its meaning of the more only derivatively. However, it is expedient to discuss this step by step, and therefore we shall start by identifying two kinds of more and less. If I say 20 is more than 15, then indeed 15 is contained in 20. In every number, with exception of the one, the one is contained so and so many times. But now there is also an experienced more, whose origin lies completely elsewhere. We recall the resistance. We recall that resistance can only be experienced by the counter-pressure of the touched organ and that, the case that the touching hand does not receive the pressure, but causes it, for example by pushing against a heavy but movable ball, then the ball gives way and the self-moving organ overcomes the resistance in such a way. If, on the other hand, the ball rolls with great force, so that we try in vain to stop it, the self-moving organ of touch gives way and is thus overcome. But if self-mobility, as we remember further, is the expression of drive, then the suppression of the pressure must appear in the image of victory, the having to give way to it in the image of defeat. In other words, in the former a more, in the latter a less of power is experienced. And accordingly, the conflict of pressure and counter-pressure rooted in the experience of sensation establishes the concept of power, and with it the concept of surpassing. The more beautiful is not multiplied unbeautifulness, but it surpasses unbeautifulness. Sagacity is not multiplied stupidity, but it surpasses stupidity. Courage is not multiplied fearfulness, but it surpasses fearfulness. And likewise, the more evil surpasses an evil, the more rare a rare, the more gruesome a gruesome, and so on. The experienced archetype of all only possible increases lies in the experience of the degree of strength, and this in the experienced surmountability of a pressure by our self-moving corporeality. Strengths are in and for themselves just as little quantifiable as kinds, but they can be increased, and the question more is an increase of driving force. So it remains true, species cannot be graduated. But we now have to add the undoubtedly experienced increase of strength is not the same with increase of quantity. Having advanced so far, we are confronted with the following question. If the more of the increase is something different than the more of the increase of quantity, how do we come to grasp both with the same concept and to establish the relation of a more to a less in counting as well as in grading, even to express the differences in degree by numbers? Ten is more than five, but also brighter is more bright than bright. There, the less is contained in the more. Here, however, it is merely surpassed by the more. How can we apply the same concept to the relation of the surpassed to the surpassing as to the relation of the contained to the container? We put three series next to each other. A series of species. A series of strengths and a series of numbers. One kind of series would be, for example, the colour series of the solar spectrum. Another would be the musical scale, we choose the latter. One thing we see immediately, if we strike C D E F G A H in sequence, there is no increase in any of the steps by which we get from one tone step to the next, nor is there an increase in quantity. Rather, all tones are different from each other in kind. But the differences in kind between two neighbouring tones are somehow similar to each other. Regardless of whether we take the above scale as a basis, or, for example, a five-step scale, or the full series of evenly perceptible elevation steps. The differences are always comparable with each other, only from the point of view of the purely species-specific phenomenon of an intrinsic similarity. If we transfer to this the concept of increase, similar, more similar, most similar, then it must be emphasised that the similarity between two neighbouring levels does not have to be the greatest. A sung C is not usually confused by anyone with a D of a grand piano, but quite often with its much more distant C of the octave. The similarity between fundamental and octave is thus greater than that between fundamental and neighbouring tone. The progression in the scale happens by means of inherent similarities, but even the smallest possible step does not necessarily turn out to be the greatest similarity. That we nevertheless arrange the species differences of the tones in a one dimensional step sequence or ladder can, as has already been noted, only be explained by the relationship of the tone characters, which we cannot go into here. We go on to the numerical series. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and point by point we assert the differences between it and the series of numbers. Point 1 There are many kinds of series, the number series is only one. Point 2 To come from any number to the next larger one, we do the same, and not a similar step, every time. All numbers are absolutely different from each other, but the step from one to the next is always the same because it is always the smallest conceivable. Point three, every next larger number takes all predecessors into itself every time. This completes the dissimilarity of the series up to the incomparability. The D does not absorb the C, the E does not absorb the D, but the 5 has swallowed the 4, the 6 the 5, the 7 the 6. As soon as we have taken this step to the next level, all preliminary levels are extinguished. This being swallowed up of the smaller by the larger number, however, is a being contained, the former, in the latter. And therefore the larger one also gives away every smaller one again. From 7 I can subtract 6, but not 8. Brackets. We have to skip the algebraic trick of 0 minus 1 here, because for its derivation, the dissection of the 0 term would be necessary, which would be completely outside of our discussion. Close bracket. But as certainly as the being swallowed up and being contained by the same thing are only two different sides, so certainly we are free to consider one side and the other side separately. If someone eats an apple, immediately afterwards the substance of the apple is contained in his body. Nevertheless, the apple has disappeared. Likewise, the six disappears in the seven, and it does not disappear therefore less because it is taken out of it again any time. We come to the strength series. The appearances, as if there were several strength series like sound strengths, light strengths, heat strengths, has proved to us as deceptive. They are all the one and the same series of the pressure differences, but only on the occasion of the physicality of different images. As the series of numbers is only one, so is the series of degrees. Side note, if this were otherwise, we would not have the concept of degree at all. Number series and degree series thus agree in point 1. If we now imagine any palpable degree of pressure, then we arrive at the next degree of pressure by virtue of the just perceptible pressure difference. And this is now, each time, the perceptibly smallest The perceptible pressure differences between two successive degrees of pressure are therefore equal to each other. Well understood, not the corresponding sizes of the fract- factual pressure increases, whose relation to the perceptible pressure increases rather regulated according to the so-called Weber-Fechner Stimulus Threshold law. Thus, we do not find the slightest differences at each two transitions from the degree, experience, of any pressure to the degree experience of the next higher pressure. The profound difference to the species series is obvious. On the other hand, we have determined a series of experiences which is exactly analogous to the numerical series, also with respect to point 2. The following version makes the similarity stand out more sharply. We run through the numerical series by means of objectively equal steps. degree series by means of subjectively equal steps but how do we come to call the higher degree a more and to model a numerical degree series of the objective to the on the degree series of the experienced weights temperatures candle strengths etc when the experience of any degree of strength does not contain in itself the lesser degree of strength I press with the index finger of my right hand against the index finger of my left hand in such a way that both keep each other balanced. If I now increase the pressure of my right index finger by an appreciable amount, or if I release it with the left index finger by an appreciable amount, the left index finger immediately recedes before the right one. Generally every evenly stronger pressure overcomes the evenly weaker pressure. But because the overcoming of a pressure infallibly coincides with the giving way of the resistance, we can also say, every evenly stronger pressure destroys the evenly weaker pressure. There we would have an analogy also to point three of the number series. Each number is destroyed by the one step larger, each pressure by the one step stronger, the former by being swallowed up, the latter by having to give way. But with it, we have arrived at the original sense of the more and less. The difference of the more or less does not originally mean the relation of the contained to the container, but that of the surpassed to the surpassing, and this is also true for the series of numbers. The number, in so far as it is grasped abstractly, is of course infallibly a quantity containing the smaller number. The number, however, is so far as it is moreover experienced, is rather a quantity surpassing the smaller number, as could be proved a thousandfold. For the all too human will to power, we may put without hesitation the will to the greater number. Does not define some mystic accordingly the Almighty God inaccurately as greatest number? The child-learning geography takes special pleasure in Mount Blanc just because it surpasses the other alpine mountains in the number of metres of height. The Mount Blanc is mightier than the Matterhorn, the Kilimanjaro mightier than the Mont Blanc, and the Gauri Shankar surpasses them altogether. The record madness of all sportsmen surpasses with numbers and merely with numbers. Here is a true anecdote some renowned Yankees on the railroad. Each of them enumerates the merits of his place of residence. However, they are soon the most ships, soon the highest skyscraper, soon the largest number of inhabitants, soon the most tons of coal stockpiles, soon the most numerous billionaires, etc. Only the last one doesn't have a record number to set against it, and therefore has to endure the ridicule of the others. But he remembers in time, It is statistically certain that his city has the largest number of annual suicides per thousand inhabitants. His record ambition is saved. The mockery is silenced. Sapienti sat. Perhaps one replies, It can be understood that the pressure overcoming the pressure appears to be the bearer of the pressure of a preponderance of power. But this does not yet establish the concept of a constantly growing series of pressure-overcoming powers, to which, however, it would have to be replied that it belongs to the character of any degree of resistance to be overcome in turn by a greater pressure, and that for this purpose a pressure greater by the minimum noticeable is always sufficient. Resistance A is displaced by an evenly greater pressure B. Resistance B, by the subjectively equally greater pressure C, the latter by the equally greater pressure d and so on, from which an unmistakable series of overcoming forces results. If we add the experience of the growing effort, which we have to oppose to the increasing pressure in order not to give in to it, the concept of degrees of strength is the inescapable consequence of it. However, it would be quite incorrect to conclude from this that the concept of number has developed on the basis of already existing concepts of degree. Of course, the original object of counting are not degree quantities, just as little also volume quantities, but things. Tribal history as well as individual history is counted first. A finger, and still another finger, and still another finger. The more of the degrees of strength has experienced long before it could still be counted but also the larger number in relation to the smaller one was originally experienced as more for the same reason as the stronger intensity in relation to the weaker one namely the sake of its ability to surpass the smaller one we summarize the perceptible archetype of all differences in degree are differences in strength differences in strength are differences in pressure differences in pressure form a single one-dimensional row each two neighbouring levels of this row differ each time by a perceptibly smallest amount the evenly stronger pressure overcomes by making it yield the evenly weaker pressure it thus takes away its self-assertion its existence, its being in it uh, more of power is attested and this is the originally experienced sense of the relation of the more to the less and because we count as spiritual beings so the number series similar in it helps us to reify the degree series. The stronger displacement power objectifies itself in the greater number.